Okay, guys, very welcome back to the show today. And my lights are going on and off and flickering, but it's all good. Today, I'm joined by professional wrestler Sam Houston, who you guys will know from WCW, Florida Championship Wrestling, WWF. Many, many years of wrestling. How are you doing? I am doing great. I'm blessed. I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. I'm doing well. I just, I'm having a great day. Every day above ground's a good one. What are you up to these days, man? Well, um, well, really, just kind of whatever I want. Uh, I spread, you know, I spread uh, spread the word for for the master everywhere I go. I'm a walking sentiment, you know, my uh, my testimony, I guess, uh, you know, for him and everything he's done in my life. Uh, and then I, I, I piddle around the place here. We got uh, we're sitting on five acres. And I've got some projects here at the house that I'm doing. Um, I was training uh, guys with Bobby Fulton's uh, uh, little school. He had a wrestling school about an hour north of here. So I was doing that some. And I'm doing a little bit of, uh, oh gosh, remodeling work on some homes and helping out. I'm doing two pizza restaurants right now, uh, working on some projects for them and just hanging out. Just getting through life, man. Yeah, so you're still you're still a pretty busy guy, obviously. Oh yeah, plus I'm still wrestling. I'm the United States Heavyweight yeah. Champion still, and uh, my belt's over there. But anyway, uh, uh, hang on, I get it. Yeah, I do yeah, yeah. So I've got the uh, the PWA United States Heavyweight uh, title. My next title defense, I believe, is July the fifteenth in uh, Lancaster, Ohio. Looking forward to that. Uh, you know, and these are pretty good, uh, pretty good things for a guy that's almost 60 years old, you know, so I'm still yeah. active. I wrestled the barbarian, uh, what about, uh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, something like that. Excellent. We got into it uh, and everything was fine. I was doing really good till he started slinging chairs. Then I had to start you know, swinging a chair, and it just all ended up, you know, there was no winner. So, anyway, no I'll see him down the road. I'll hit him with a chair down the road. How's the how's the body holding up then, man, for someone, obviously, that's been in the business for such a long time? Because I meet a lot of guys your age, and their bodies are just fucked. Like, how's yours? Well, I mean, oh, gosh. Uh, in 91, I, I, I was injured. It was left me partially paralyzed on the left side of my body for a while. And then uh, I got uh, this doctor out in uh, California worked on me and uh, got me back on my feet walking again. And then the Northridge earthquake hit out in California and I was in the middle of that. And I re-injured myself knocking doors down, uh, getting people out. Well, the doctor worked on me again. And uh, got me back. Well, all the injuries were to my neck between my C3 and C6. Everything over the years fused together. Uh, I can just now start popping it again. But uh, uh, so I've been partially paralyzed twice. Then uh, my career was over then. And I met Charlie Norris. And I started training with him at the uh, developmental uh, center there for WCW. And uh, um, after three months of working out with him every day, he was like, you need to get back in there. 
And I was like, my career is over. You know, I've been hurt. And he told me, he said, I'm giving you everything I got and I can't do anything with you when I get you in the ring. So I, that's when we decided that I would come back to the ring if I in a tag situation. And uh, Charlie was my tag team partner. And together we went across the world. We went to Japan five times together. I was almost eaten by cannibals twice in New Guinea. Jeez. You know, <laughs> huh? they were carrying me You're to it. the big black pot. Yeah, what uh, happened? That's a, that's an interesting one. Huh? What happened? Okay, yeah, we yeah, got over course. to uh, Port Moresby, Papua New Guinea. And they pick us up at the airport. And we're driving to the hotel. And right when we're leaving the airport, I, I see this totem pole that's about 80 feet tall. There's three of them sitting right at the, the airport. And I'm like, well, okay, we're not in Kansas anymore. You know, so... Anyway, uh, we get to the hotel, and and uh, the people there, it was like I'd walked into a Tarzan movie. And the next day, I was doing an autograph. Well, that night, we had a big party. The next day, we were doing an autograph sign, and I was standing in this little bitty ring that's about maybe four by four. They got ropes around me, and I was signing autographs. Well, after about an hour and a half, I had to go to the restroom. I went to the restroom and got a soda. I was coming back and the people picked me up and they were throwing me over their head up in the air. And I was like, wow, I'm the life of the party. Well, I didn't know how much of the life of the party I was. Though the, the tribes people there, there's still so uh, very many. There's quite a few cannibal cannibalistic tribes there still. And they believe part of their religion is they believe whatever they consume lives through them. So I'm a wrestler or a fighter or a warrior. So they're figuring if they eat me that I'll live through them. And, you know, but I, they uh, got me, they, they got me all the way to the front gates and the Australian army came in with all their uh, 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 vehicles and stuff. And they jumped out and they were shooting people with rubber bullets and the guns. They were beating them in the head with clubs, knocking them back. These Rottweilers, biggest Rottweilers I've ever seen, uh, they were just they were clamping on people's heads and just dragging them off. It was the most violent thing I'd ever seen. So they get me in the army transport, and the the major goes, uh, "Mate, you ever watch Boogs Booney? Boogs Booney, Bugs Bunny? Yeah." He said, "You know the one with the Ethiopian?" And I was like, "Yeah." He said. There was a big black pot in your future, mate. And and there was, you know. About four days later, Charlie Norris and I, we almost got uh, got it by both uh, by him. And then one night, I was in the ring. I had Killer Brooks in a headlock. And, and, the, and the, uh, I guess the natives, they knocked down 100 yards of wrought iron fencing, uh, at the soccer arena and stormed the soccer arena. The army had to be called out. They were, I'm saying, I got a headlock on a guy in the ring. All of a sudden, the next thing I hear is a shotgun and I hear the pellets landing on the, uh, the, the roof, the tin roof. I was like, I let the headlock go and jumped underneath the ring. I was, it's a lot safer underneath there. <clears throat> but we got uh, back to uh, Texas and my father was uh, the one booking my international tours for me at the time. And we walked straight into him 
and I told him he wasn't booking Charlie and I anymore. What a way to start the show! Yeah. <laughs> well, it was it was it was something. It was uh, we had to wrestle. They sent four wrestlers, and we each had to wrestle a forty-minute singles match and then a forty-minute tag team match. And it was, I never knew it, but it was a. We were brought over there by the Spears Cigarette Company which is a cigarette that's probably about uh, eight, eight inches long, and it's about as thick as my finger, and it's got newsprint on the paper. It's rolled out of the Australian Daily newspaper. Uh, newspaper. They were killing the people in New Guinea, the, the natives, getting them hooked on tobacco, or they're smoking the newsprint and getting lead poisoning. You know? Jesus so I, I, I guess that's like a genocide type thing. Yeah, you know. When we, we'll uh, we, we'll change it up a little bit, and we'll just—I <laughs> yeah. know it's a, it's, a, it's an obvious question, but obviously, second generation superstar. Your dad was huge in the in the business, and obviously influential. Was he the one that ultimately led you to getting into the business? No, he tried everything he could to keep me out of it. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, the year before I was supposed to uh, start wrestling, I had my tonsils taken out, and they messed up, and I died on the table for two minutes. Um, I've got, what, 16 stitches on this side where they opened me up, and 18 on this. The anesthesiologist, when he, they went to put the tube down in my throat for me to breathe through the, while they do the surgery, because what they do is they stick the tube down, then they put a balloon down there. They blow the balloon up, and it gives them room to work, and they snare the tonsils and scrape the adenoids. Well, when they put the tube down my throat for me to breathe through, they punctured a hole in the back of my windpipe. And then when they gave me the anesthesiologist gas, uh, I had an open wound in there that when they're forcing gas in me, just opened up and kept filling me up like a tire. And I had so much uh, the, of the uh, gas in me that it caused a heart attack. And, uh, and I flatlined for two minutes. They resuscitated me. I can, you know, I'll never forget how mad I was that they resuscitated me because I was in such a peace, such a, I, look, you can have everybody in the world try to tell you there's, a, there's not an afterlife. I know there is, brother. And I know where I'm going. And I can't wait. I'm not in a rush to get there, but I, I, I'm not afraid either. So, uh, you know, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll be describing more of it in my book. I'm writing my book right now, my life story. Yeah, even from those two stories like that we've that you've told me in ten minutes here on the podcast, I was just thinking in my head, this this is gonna make a great book. So tell me about the book and who's who's writing with you and what's the what's the plan for it? Well, the the lady now that that's helping me, uh, you know, I, I wrote the 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 first uh, little bit while I was locked up in prison. Yeah, and I got a good start on that that way, and then. Uh, uh, you know, after, after I got out, you know, life goes on. Uh, so I, I had to take a break from it for a little bit, but now I'm dedicating myself back to it. And I've got a lady, she's a friend of ours. Uh, uh, her name is Amy Friggle. She's a, a 
oh gosh, she's a journalist and this, that, and the other. So she's got credentials and stuff. So she's going to help me with the editing and everything. We're actually doing two books at the same time. One, one is my life story and one is a substance abuse uh, book. You know, I went through 13 different rehabs and completed each one successfully. But I was a bad alcoholic, too. You know, I'd leave an AA meeting and go straight and grab a bottle of whiskey. You know, I didn't have a problem. When I'd sit in the AA meetings, a lot of times I'd sit there and I couldn't wait to get out of there to go get that bottle. You know, mm -hmm. and one of the things that hit me while I was sitting there is such a depressing place. Why would anybody want to get sober? If it, you know, well, I turned it around. I'm happy about being sober now because, hey, dude, I was if you want to ask somebody if you can drink, yeah, I can drink. I used to drink three, four, you know, fifths of uh, uh, whiskey a day, you know, uh, almost three fifths a day for uh, for almost 19 years. I mean, that's nothing to brag about. I, I had an addiction to it and it ruled my life. Well, it doesn't anymore. And I can still have fun, you know? Yeah. What 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 made that decision then just to, to when give my it mom up passed? When my mom yeah. passed away, alcohol, I felt like alcohol and over-the-counter medications like uh, Tylenol PM and things that uh, things that work on your liver. You know, you, you don't realize all the poisons that we put our, our, through our liver. Well, Reggie Parks, he was the uh, gladiator, I guess, a long time ago. Uh, he made all the, the belts for the NWA, the title belts and stuff for a long time. Anyway, uh, he told me when I was a little kid, he was a, an alcoholic. And he told me there's one organ in the body that uh, that we can't, that, you know, that if it's messed up, can rejuvenate itself. And that is the liver. And you have to feed it right. Well, I was a bad alcoholic, but I drank fresh carrot juice every day, you know. And the carrot juice did for my liver what cranberry juice does for your kidneys. You know, flushed them out. And, yeah. uh, you know, and Black Bart, uh, I guess he was my nemesis for years and years and years uh, in the ring and everything. He's got uh, he's got cancer now and we're doing everything we can to uh, see him through this. And his liver has been affected. He's got some spots on his liver. So I've helped him out with uh, the carrot juice. We, we got him a, a juice maker. Kim and I, and then uh, got him uh, hooked up with some sourwood honey. You know, it's a, it's a, oh gosh, it's a carcinogenic type honey. It kills cancer cells. The bees make it on this side of the world in two places, Brazil and Georgia in the United States. But it isolates, there's something in the properties with the sourwood honey uh, that it isolates the bad cells from the good cells and kills the bad ones off. So it's a pretty very good sorry. thing, you know. Yeah, very sorry to hear about Black Bart and obviously wish him well. Um, was it hard to avoid stuff like pills and alcohol being in a business like wrestling when you were in it? Because it was kind of like rock and roll, wasn't it, really? Well, yeah, but you got to figure, too. I mean, everything is a challenge everywhere you go. You know, you're okay. It, let's just say for your image sake, you know. So for my image, if, if I... You know, now I don't worry about it. I I am who I am. I'm proud of who I am. You know, I've always been proud, I guess, uh, of what I stood for and everything. 
but I don't have to like prove anything anymore. I've already proved it, you know? Um, but yeah, at, at that point in time, you know, you, you, you start thinking and you start believing your own publicity and you feel that you are Superman. You've got to do better than everybody else. And that was probably one of my biggest downfalls too, you know, because you hear like uh, Dusty and, and Flair, uh, you're going to party with the big dogs and blah, 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 you know, and party all night long. You know, well, I took that to heart. I partied all night long. And one night I was sitting there and uh, uh, Rick, I guess he ordered, at last call, he ordered 50 kamikazes and 50 Coors Lights. So I ran out of kamikazes in front of me. So I grabbed one of the kamikazes that was over by him and I drank it and it was soda water. It wasn't out. There was no alcohol in it. And I was like, Oh, I got mad because here's a guy saying, Oh, he's partying with us, partying with us, but he's not drinking any alcohol or not drinking much alcohol. You know, but then I started thinking about it. If I was a world champion, if I was a, uh, there was a target on my back for everybody. Yeah, I'm going to go get everybody else drunk. I'm going to stay straight. That way I know I can come out of the situation. Okay. Cause there's always people looking. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Cause you always hear people talk about the, uh, the party element of Ric Flair, don't you? Yeah, yeah, you do, you do, you know. But when I was uh, with WWF, we got a little bit, I guess, more um, hardcore, I, I think, with the party. Now, we partied hard in WCW. Don't get me wrong. We partied hard yeah. there. But we partied, whoa, for with WWF. I mean, we were. We were rock stars there. I mean, uh it was, it was unreal. And and the, the pills, everything that was there. I mean, whatever you wanted, you could get. Uh, but that's yeah. true for anything at any time in any, any situation. If you want something bad enough, you will get it, you know. But in WWF, you know, you have the, the fans and everything. They all kind of know that they want to party with you or whatever. So we'd all line up, line the boys up and whoever the, 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 the fans were. And they got to buy us all a double Jack Daniels and they got to get one too. And then you toss it back, but then you got to gargle it for five seconds before you swallow it. Now only a hardcore (laughs) alcoholic is going to be able to do that, you know, without it coming through their nose or crying or something like that. But usually people don't stick around too long. I think as an Irish man, I'd be able to give it a go. I think I'd be okay. Well, you know, I, well, back in the day, now I've got almost, I've got 14 years almost without drinking, but I did have a certificate. I was a a member of the Royal Order of the Screechers. Have you ever heard about Screech? No, no. It's a liquor up in Newfoundland. It's black as coal, thick as molasses, tastes like burnt Quaker state oil. And all, and you got to chase it with Foster's lager. You take a oh, really? bit of the screech and then a bit of the foster and then a bit of the screech. Then a bit. I think that's where the bushwhackers got their thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. How did how did you end up? I suppose joining the WWF. Is there any mad story behind that? 
Well, let me go back to what happened to me. You know, I'd, I'd gotten my, my tonsils taken out. And then, uh, you know, I, I, I worked a whole year to get my weight back on. I took my GED so because they were going to make me redo 11th grade again. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to get in the ring and get on the road. So uh, my dad had George Weingroff get in the ring with me and, and work out with me. And he stretched me. I mean, he he cranked up on me. He he treated me like he would anybody else. And that was the first week. And then I, I came back the second week in the ring with him. And after the second week, he couldn't do everything he'd done to me the first week. I was a pretty decent amateur wrestler. I was undefeated in high school. But my high school career was cut short with, the with you know, my sister was kidnapped. And uh, taken from us. But uh, um, uh, I, you know, I've wanted to be a wrestler all my life. So uh, George, after the second time we worked out, went to my dad and said, he's ready. My dad told me, he said, I've already lost you once. I'm not going to lose you again. He said, this business is not for you. So it, it took a little while, and then Dusty came in to the territory, and I talked to Dusty one night in uh, in New Orleans, and he said, come on down. He said, when you're ready, come down to Florida and, uh, and see what we could do. Well, my dad, you know, gave Dusty his big break. Dusty was getting ready to retire in 1969, and he was driving through Dallas to go home, and uh, hang up his boots and become a plumber with his dad. And my dad changed everything when they got out in the ring and put Dusty over in the middle of the ring. Uh, for the people that don't know what that means, he let Dusty beat him. He felt the charisma in the ring. And that launched Dusty's career. And my dad gave Dusty his big break. And Dusty was a little bit of a like a history thing, you know. And, and uh, oh, gosh, sentimentalism dusty was really you know sentimental and Sounds so like he was one. returning the favor he was returning the favor by breaking me in or letting me giving me a shot well i didn't know it until just recently that i got down to florida and my dad had called the florida office and told him that uh under no circumstances was out of work you know get in there and uh uh jj dillon I was showing up to the show, uh, showed up. I had my, my gear, the whole nine yards, and Dusty was going, and uh, J.J. talked Dusty into it, said, give the kid a shot, and Dusty did. And, you know, and uh, I, I'm i blessed because when I first got started, I was able to work almost every night for the first three months of my career. I was on the road with seasoned veterans, you know, they, they could talk to me, you know. And when I got to the Carolinas, I, I got to give credit to the Johnny Weavers and the Sonny Fargos and the Rufus Joneses. You know, all these guys that help you along your career, you know, that, that, that when you were a young kid just breaking in, you're full of all this piss and vinegar and everything, and you're just going to go show everything, you know, should give them everything all at once. And it's the, the guys like the Johnny Weavers and the, you know, the, the different guys, Jimmy Valiant. And I love Jimmy Boogie Woogie Man Valiant. I just saw him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but, you know, 
but those guys, you know, they gave you the advice. Don't give, you know, don't get out there and give it to them all at once, you know, work it out through them, you know, have a match, make, make it mean something. Well, uh, that's how you learn to wrestle. Not this once a week thing or once a month thing or every other TV taping, you know, the business ain't the same. So people don't get the, they don't get the feel of it anymore. I don't know. There was a lot of, huh? Yeah. I, I know what you're saying. There was a lot more consistency, I think back in the day as well. Like if, if you well, look you, back. We were doing it all the time. It was yeah. second nature. Now everything, I, I don't know if you ever go to a TV taping and get there beforehand or anything, but just get to a, uh, what's going to be a televised event and get there after they set the ring up. And sit there all day and watch. Watch how many guys go out there and have to have their stuff choreographed or have to be shown how to do a move. These guys are not wrestlers, you know? Yeah. Uh, they're programmed. Uh, they're, they're, I don't know, action figures. I had Steve Kern on my podcast a couple of weeks ago, and Steve was telling me that, you know, he was there as a trainer for a while as well, and he was helping set up some of the women's matches. And he he said that he went to two two of the two of the women one day, and he said, "Right, figure out your match. It's six minutes long." And he told him to finish. Okay, <clears throat> he came back maybe two hours later, and they still hadn't figured out the six minute match. Oh yeah, that crazy. Uh, yeah. Well, here's what I love. I go to these events now, right, and. I see guys out there and, and they're got like, you know, go like six or eight minutes and they're talking for three hours. They got, you know, a blockbuster movie put together here, you know, all this stuff, all that, you know. So what happens if somebody misses that first thing or you, uh, they don't have a clue, you know, that I've got a feel of people, you know, and, 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 you're getting whatever you're getting everything I got when I get out there, you know, um, that's why the, the promotions in Ohio, I, I, you know, I just got to thank them. Uh, I got to thank the PWA twice. They've had to move, uh, to bigger buildings because we sold them, sold the buildings out. So that's a pretty good, you know, that lets me know as an entertainer, as a sports uh, athlete or the whole nine yards that I'm doing my job. You know, mm -hmm. and if I can brighten somebody's day, I want to, you know, because it's about for me what it for me, it's about being able to make somebody smile, you know, to, to have a good time. Um, bring joy, you know, yeah. uh, the most important thing a person, the, the most important decision a person has to make in their lifetime is uh their decision to, to follow the Lord or not. You know, I want to see, I, I truly want to see everybody blessed and see them in heaven. You know, I know that's not going to happen, you know, because the master himself said it, you know, a lot of people are going to come up to him in the final days and say, I've cast out demons and this, that, and the other in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. I don't want to hear those words from him. You know, yeah. I know that when my, I know there's a special place. So, you know, I want everybody to, to make a conscious decision. It don't cost you anything, you know, and you'll feel better about it. 
when you first got in in 87, you wrestled a lot. Oh, I started in 83. Oh, in WWF. No, in WWF, yeah. Yeah. When you got to WWF in '87, you 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 wrestled with uh, Barry Horowitz a lot, and it's always kind of comes up in conversation. And, and Bret Hart mentioned it last year. You know, do you think Barry or anyone in the same kind of line of enhancement talent or job or whatever they say deserves to be in the WWF Hall of Fame at some point? Yeah, they deserve it. Without the carpenters, who you know, you can't have a steeple on a church without a carpenter to build it. You know, you're not yeah. gonna have you're not gonna have a world. What's your world champion mean if if you know he's got to beat somebody? You know what yeah. I mean? Somebody's got to go out there and be able to perform because the athletes, a lot of times, the athletes getting pushed aren't the performers. You know, mm -hmm. look at Terry Gibbs. Look how in you know influ influential he was as enhancement talent. But you know, mm -hmm. he was. You know, he went out there and he busted his ass. It's a job like anything else. It doesn't matter if I'm the first match or the main event. I'm still on that card, you know, so you got to give me my props. And I'm running around in tight, shiny underwear. <laughs> <laughs> do you think Do you think winning and losing when it comes down to pro wrestling, do you think that that kind of got to some guys? Because I know oh, it gets, yeah, it gets to people. Yeah, so, it's yeah. like I said, people believe their own publicity, you know. Um, it, it, I've been in the ring so many times that they've had to change it because I something had happened and I, I was so over with the people that night that if, if I didn't go over, there would have been a riot. You know, Dusty's had to send Magnum to the ring uh, to change the finish for me. He's had to run to the ring himself and change the finish. Uh, the the guys I was working with have had to change the finish because they want to get out of there alive. You know, <laughs> there's a, just a connection between, uh, yeah, I've been in quite a few riot situations. Uh, but, but yeah, you, you want to get, but a lot of guys, yeah, they, they have attitudes, you know, mm -hmm. uh, they all think they're better than what they are, I think. <laughs> yeah, um, you, you wrestled as well with um, a good friend of the show. I've had him on a couple of times. The guy's a very nice guy, Paul Roma. You two guys wrestled as a tag team against the Hart Foundation before. Um, why didn't they did, go? Yeah. yeah. Huh? Why didn't they take that somewhere? Or was there any reasoning behind that? Because it looks like you guys only wrestled one match, but for the titles. Oh, yeah. I they just put through a match out there to get, you know, get the champions over. So, you know, create a new team. They did, they just put guys over, you know, throwing whoever together is all it was. Basically. I don't think there was, there was any planning behind it. It was just that we need two bodies, you know, yeah. Paul was a good guy. I like Paul. He was fun. Yeah. Yeah. Nice guy. He, um, <clears throat> he called Rick Flair there out of my podcast a couple of months back. He wants to have a match with Rick. Oh, Rick's well, last shoot, wouldn't I, everybody? I mean, I told I, I volunteered. Heck, I mean, why not? Send it out there, you know? Uh, that last one was supposed to be his last match, and I guess people got mad because after that match, they made so much money. He said, let's do it again. So let's see. I'll be his 11th last match. 
<laughs> You're throwing your name in the hat as well. Yeah, why not? Yeah, maybe we'll be, maybe we'll have an invitational uh, 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 invitation only invitational battle royal. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Did um did you ever get any advice or compliments of Vince McMahon? Yes. Yeah, I did. Uh, he told me that Survivor Series match that I, I was Ultimate Warriors team. I was on that one. Yeah. Whenever I got back to the uh, come back through the curtain, he thanked me. He said, "Sam, he said you saved that match. He said you were the only one out there that sold anything, you know. And that goes back to winning or losing. You know, yeah, the guys didn't want to put each other over." You know, they didn't want to sell each other's stuff, which is stupid because that's how you get over by selling yeah. each other's stuff. You know, people got like stuff all messed up. But that's what okay. Was, what was Jim? Huh? Sorry. What was what was Jim like to work with? Because I know you two guys, you, you and the Ultimate Warrior, you had a good connection and bond, but not a lot of people say the same thing. So what side of them did you see? Oh, well, uh, well, see, when he first got up there, uh, they just called him the warrior. And, they, you know, they were they were filming his matches at TV tapings, but they weren't airing them because they didn't know which way to go with it. And we traveled together because, you know, I, I mean, I didn't hang with all the rest of the guys or anything. So we got along together. And then uh, uh, uh he was helping me with the weights and everything working out because I didn't have a great body or nothing. I wasn't, you know, he was helping me with that. Then I was helping him with, you know, things in the ring and, and trying to work, but we traveled together and stuff. And, and really after I got him to start smoking pot, he was all right. You know, <laughs> you mellowed him out. These Lloyd Ragers. He was bouncing the car in El Paso. And he was bouncing the tires about that far off the ground, you know. And I was like, whoa. And the two uh, police officers were like, buddy, we're glad you got this. And they walked back inside. So what had happened was somebody was videotaping him and he didn't have his makeup on. So he was going to go meet my bootmaker. Well, I wasn't going to take him in that uh, uh, condition. So I made him start smoking pot with me. Yeah, he enjoyed, he enjoyed rides after that. You mellowed him out a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think there was, do you think there was maybe, because I know some of the guys say they don't like him. Do you think there was maybe an element of jealousy as well? If you look at it from a different perspective about the way he looked and about the way he was being Oh presented? yeah. Everybody was jealous of, of him over that. You know, I mean, uh, how could you beat that? You know, that physique and the, the whole nine mm -hmm. yards on all the other aspects he was way out there in left field, you know. Um, I don't think he really could, uh, totally understood the business. I think he understood marketing and those types of things. Uh, I think, uh, but I heard that he went up and he said he wanted the same deal Hogan had. And I don't think that was ever going to happen again. Mm. You know, they were never going to let... After Hogan, when Hogan got over as big as he did and, and, and all that, and when he left Vince and stuff, it was kind of like a shattering, you know? So you never want to, you know, a smart guy is never going to put all of his, 
all of his eggs in one basket, basically. You know? Yeah. And when, when so, it comes to... Go ahead. Go No, you go ahead. I was just going to say, when it comes to someone then like Hogan as well, like, I've heard nothing but positive things from people about the guy. What was your experience like with him? With Ho- Hogan? Yeah. Yeah, he was cool. He always treated me well. We got along on the road together. I never saw him do anything that I, you know, thought was questionable or bad. I mean, I never personally saw anything like that. Um, no, nah, everything I, I, I've heard stuff, but, you know, until somebody does something to me, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't hold anything against anybody. I love the guy to death. Yeah. So another another random one. You appeared in the Royal Rumble in 1989, I believe it was. The very uh, first one. Yeah, you're still wrestling now. Uh-huh. If there was an opp- if there was an opportunity for you to do like a guest spot in a Rumble, would you do it in the WWF? Well, it depends on what the payoff is. <laughs> Let's just I'm say not it's gonna do it for free. I'm not gonna do it for free. You know. They wouldn't expect you to work for free, surely. Yeah, well, I don't know. You know, back in the day, wasn't that great? <laughs> <laughs> if it's TV pay, you know. <laughs> so no, if the, I, if I the pay is right, just you'll just do to it. get back out there just to play, you know? You look a bit devious there. You look like you're, you're, the wheels are turning in your head and you have some kind of oh, idea. I've always got something going on. <laughs> you know? yeah. who, who was your favorite wrestler to work with in oh, your entire gosh. career? Well, um, there's so many, you know, they were so good. And, you know, and one guy in particular that never got the credit or never got the break, and he was probably one of the world's greatest heels that nobody ever heard about, and he was Sputnik Monroe's son, the Cajun brawler, Bubba Monroe. The guy was just an absolute dream, and I, oh gosh, I, 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 I died laughing. I just loved working with the guy. I mean, uh, and I could I pull ribs and all kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but the, he never got he I got I guess the right people never saw him or you know he didn't fit the the corporate corporate bill or, or what what they thought you know he was just a good old boy and uh but he was he was probably one of the best heels I'd ever worked with but you know I was blessed to be able to work with guys like Eddie Gilbert Kurt Henning and you know uh Terry Taylor uh, but Black Bart, I got to work with all different kinds of guys and all different kinds of styles. I mean, the first time I got in the ring with Adrian Street, I was 19, 20 years old or something like that. He skipped to the ring in uh, Richmond, Virginia. I had never seen anything like it before in my life. I'd never met the guy. And he gets yeah. up in the ring. And when the bell rings, he ran over, jumped up, wrapped his legs around my waist, and kissed me right on the face. Right on. <laughs> and I went nuts. I was trying to throw him. I was, oh, 
I was like a a, a, a windmill in a, in a tornado. Just everything was swimming. Take but about I don't know 15 seconds, and I was out of gas. I was blown up, and he, he just did whatever he wanted to. He was that good of a wrestler, you know. But yeah, it, it was different back then than it is today. Yeah, and you got to wrestle ultimately Dusty's son Dustin, who's was Goldust now, Dustin Rollins as well. Like, what was that experience like? You know, oh, it was Dusty great. Had... Well, you know, a lot of a lot of people don't know it, but I taught him how to lock up and everything in my living room in Charlotte, North Carolina, when he was seventeen. You know, oh, really? we were getting ready for the Great American Bash and all these big things then. And, you know, he wanted to be a wrestler and stuff like that. So uh, Stoney Burke and Hard Rock Ricky Reeves and Action Jackson and Pat Tanaka and I had an apartment. And uh, we'd get him over there. And, and I, sh I told, taught him how to lock up, grab an arm, headlock, this, that, and the other, going through reversals, chain wrestling with him back then, you know. And then I got to wrestle against him for Vince uh, in – I think it was Huntington, West Virginia one night. I got to work with him there. And I just heard we were, I was supposed to wrestle him in a, a pay-per-view in October, but they, they pulled him out. Uh, and they're, I think they're trying to replace him with Kendall Wyndham. I'm not sure. Mm. Good guy though as well. And he's still, obviously in AEW now and he's still wrestling and obviously his brother Cody is like one of the biggest things going yeah well, yeah and, and you know and and, and I'm, I'm happy for them both you know I'm really happy for them both um you know I mean Dusty and I we came to we we, we got everything straightened out years ago for us and everything there was a whole lot of animosity I guess you know, with with me leaving and going to WWE and the whole nine, you know, WWF. And uh, when you're in a high position and your talent leaves, that cripples you because you know there there goes your loyalty. You know, so it's a, it had a you know I guess things have a crippling effect when you do things that against others' wishes. Yeah. What's the strangest or funniest rib you've ever seen backstage? Oh gosh, that well, you could say. <laughs> well, I mean, I pulled some good ones, but that I'm gonna leave that for another show with you. We'll come back and just talk about my stuff. But I would <laughs> have to say one of the most harrowing ones would have been Harley Race stopping in Sweetwater, Texas, catching a rattlesnake with his bare hands, sewing the rattlesnake's mouth shut. Getting to the matches in Amarillo and unlocking and putting the rattlesnake under Terry Funk's driver's seat. Wow. Terry was driving his Lincoln Town car home that night. He had a sunroof. And if you held your beer can in the right space with the sunroof open, you could let it go and it suck right out the top. So he was on his way home and he had his sunroof open. Well, he felt something hitting on the back of his leg. He turned his light on and he saw that rattlesnake hitting him on the calf. Well, he drove his car to the lake, you know, but the, yeah, he didn't know the rattlesnake's mouth was so shut neither. You know, so, 
but that's, that's gotta a, that's, be a that's gotta be a pretty rough one. That's a you pretty that, that's pretty next level, isn't it? Crash now, yeah. Now the funniest would have to be what I did to Angelo Mosca. I spread uh, uh, manure on his leather seats. I spray painted his headlights black on his car. Let all the air out of all of his tires. I jacked his back end off the ground. It was, it was epic. He was leaving that night to go to Toronto from Richmond, Virginia. And he had to, because he had a Cadillac and everything he owned was in the trunk of that Cadillac. He had to put all of his stuff all in the parking lot and jack his car up. And then that's when the matches got out. And he was chasing around the parking lot, trying to keep people away from taking his stuff with a tire iron. It was great. Wahoo McDaniels was right there for me, so I had backup. Was it? I have to was tell it you all, some of these, huh? Yeah. Was it always kind of? Were you always looking over your shoulder because of the way that guys were kind of carrying on back in the day? Yeah, well, you always had to, you know. But you know, when they when they would try to do something to you, you couldn't put it over. You know, you just kind of had to let it go and, then, you know, and then outdo them. And then when you get them to come to you and, and beg for mercy, that's when you know you got them. I mean, yeah. how many people do you know? And I've done this to three people, but I've got them where they got wasted and they passed out. Then you write real big, stupid across their forehead and you take them places. <laughs> take pictures with them. Yeah, take pictures with them, take them to the airport, all kinds of stuff. Take them in restaurants. <laughs> we, I Everybody think we could, loves I think, them. <laughs> I think we could do a whole show on that. But the way I, yeah. the way I wanted to finish this show today was, um, I know it's something close to your heart, religion. So just what changed everything for you in terms of religion? And if you just want to tell people about what it is that you kind of believe and you know just in general well i know there's something uh much greater than us out there i do believe the word i think man has distorted the word and i'm doing my best i'm not a leader uh, or uh, any of that i'm not a, a, a reverend i i have been uh um approved to have a ministry and stuff like that but I, i'm not choosing anything like that right now because i've got to be sure myself i'm not going to lead i'm not going to blindly lead people i'm going to encourage people to do what i do and that's study go back to the oldest text that you can find and study know what the words mean um uh you know i didn't know uh till recently you know i, I mean i knew years ago that the name Jesus wasn't a, a name until um, it didn't actually appear in the in the King James version of the Bible until the 1687 version uh, of the King James Bible because the J wasn't invented until the 1400s. the The master's name is Yeshua Hamashiach, is uh, how how you would say the Christ's name, the King's name. Um, but I had to like really get in, in, in the study and, and, and I, I'm not just, I don't just want to go to a church and listen for an hour and that's it on Sundays. You, I think to be saved, I, I think you've got to, uh, live for the word and I encourage everybody to live for the word. It's, it, it's going to make you a better person. 
You know, if I don't see people before, I want to see them in heaven. You know, it says on the it says in the word that the 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 path is great. I mean, the the the, the gate is great and the, the path is wide. Um, but that doesn't lead you to the gate of, gates to heaven. You know, the gate, the the pathway to the the to the gates of heaven. The path is straight, and the gate is narrow, and few ever find it. Um, and I I want everybody to really be honest. Look inside yourself, you know, um, and make some decisions. Stand on your faith. Stand on your decisions. You know the truth. You know, study. That's all I want people to do. You know, do what you can to help ease somebody else's burden. If you've been blessed bless somebody else that's how we get by you know as long as you have hope in your life there's something to fight for and i hope everybody fights for life all right god bless y'all i love you and uh be safe out there maurice thank you so very much and you holler at me anytime i gotta run and take my kid to music class love you guys thank you so much Uh ah bye-bye Cheers, buddy.